I'd like you to turn in your Bibles for today's message to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Two very familiar verses, but still so much more to derive from them and to refocus our heart and attention on that which is most important in our lives. Paul says, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Judgment Day. I wonder what immediately comes to your mind if it's something connected with Arnie Schwarzenegger. Carry on. <laughs> but when I think about that, Two experiences from my life come to my mind. First of all, in my primary school days, Mr. Holmes. Now, you would have to meet him to know what kind of man he was. He was authoritarian, and in the years before corporal punishment was investigated by social services, and I still, and I, I remember his name. I tried very hard yesterday, and I pulled it out. So his name is deep down, marked in various parts of my body. Mr. Holmes. Three of us were together, the three naughty boys of the class, and he was bending his cane in front of us. His eyes were ablaze. He was breaking out in a sweat. Who threw the prune? Who threw the prune? I wanted to laugh because it was a bit comical, but I, I knew better than to laugh. And so eventually, I broke. And I said, it was me, sir. Now, to this day, I can't remember whether it was me or not. But, you know, Mr. Freud gave us some ways of hiding the facts uh, of our subconscious from the light of consciousness. My, 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 judgment day for us. And then fast forward to some of the early days in Kensington Temple when I was an assistant minister here. I went to court. This was my first time in court. Now, some of you are looking at me a little bit strange. No, it wasn't for my misdemeanor. I went to speak for a congregational member who had an alcohol problem and um, was being brought before the court on an alcohol-related charge. And this was one in a series 
of many, and there was no doubt he was going down. I went to speak for him, just as a character witness. I, I am the kind of person whom prosecutions hate because the guy was guilty. He should have gone down, but I intervened. Now, what was interesting was that not knowing my way around a courtroom, I sat in the wrong seat when I was called forward. The seat I sat in was the seat reserved for the accused. <laughs> How often we sit in the seat of accused when God says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How fortunate that in the heavenly court we have one who speaks in our defense, a friend who will speak for us. Well, I acknowledged that this man had done wrong and had, I, I kind of bemoaned the fact that Kensington Temple and its influence had not had quite the effect that it should have had, but give us more time. Anyway, he was not sent to prison and intervention worked. Now, I tell those stories because today judgment um, and particularly when we talk about the judgment of God, is, is foreign to our vocabulary, foreign to our concepts. It's one of the things that cause people to reject God even before they've heard about him, is that it, it's the sense of, you know, God is up there and, and you tell me he's some angry God and he's going to zap me and I don't want anything to do with this nonsense. And yet, we've got to admit this, a whole question of judgment is never, never far away. Uh, just, just think for a moment. If God is just, then he must punish sin. Now that's a theology, but it's, it's, it's a reality. Um, if God was unrighteous, then he could just ignore it. But God is righteous, his ultimate reality. He is the one who has to govern everything and he can't paper over any cracks. And that should encourage us today. And there's two things, of course, that God's grace is always in the context of judgment because if we're going to be saved from anything, we, we, we're being saved from sin and its consequences. So, so this is the background to the grace of God. There'd be no need for grace if we weren't under the judgment of God in the first place. But people reject this whole notion of judgment because they don't feel that they should be accountable to anybody. It's very much the spirit of the age. And yet, when you think about it, this concept is not as foreign as we think. It's part of our everyday lives. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, on any occasion, been treated badly by somebody else? Yes? That's a wrong. Have you been cheated? 
robbed, suffered any injustice. Now, any of those of us who've been through that, which is all of us, we believe in justice, don't we? We know what it's like to be wronged. And that sense of something being wrong that ought not to happen and somehow ought to be corrected is an inbuilt sense of justice that we all carry. Every social campaigner, every reformer in history has been driven by a sense of justice. Social justice, moral justice, even legal justice. Our whole justice system is based on the understanding that justice exists. And if it was not exacted, then our society would be far worse off than it really is. Even atheists berate the God they don't believe in for the pain, suffering and injustice in the world. It's one of the main reasons people cite as a reason not to believe in God. And yet the God of the Bible is a God of the justice, a God of justice, and he is going to right all wrongs. He's going to reverse everything that was done wrong, and that means there is a day of judgment. The only question is, in our hope for justice, which requires a judgment day, the only problem we have is why doesn't God do it sooner? Of course, the answer to that is very simple. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And there's much that it it much is explained by that verse and, and it's a key indication because it sets the tone for what I want to say today. And that is that the key to being saturated, overflowing in the grace and goodness of God is that if we turn to him in what the Bible calls repentance. Now, the final judgment is coming God will manifest who he is fully in the earth. And when, let's use the image of light, if light comes and shines in all its brightness, there's no room for darkness. If God comes and shines in all his righteousness, his truth and holiness, there is no room for sin or sinners. And that is the inevitable thing that is coming to the whole of the planet, Jesus Christ will return, not just to be glorified in those who believe, but he will return to execute God's righteous justice. Read the book of Revelation. I recommend not before you go to bed. But in it, we find the, the revelation of what it's like in that day when God's Wrath is righteously outpoured upon the nations of the earth. There will be no place to hide. And in the middle of it, when you, if you are sensitive to these things, if you're a hard religious person, you will say, give it to them, God, they deserve it. But if you have any humanity, any compassion, any desire to see people saved, you will cry out and say, God, is there, is there not yet another way? Is there no more time? 
And yet in the midst of those conflicting emotions, the Apostle John, who sees a revelation, a vision, says that God's judgments are righteous and true. Those who would say now that they don't believe in it and how unfair it is, on that day will see when God is fully manifested how patient he's been and how right he is to judge the wicked. Now, already, I've established the final judgment in terms of, of, of context today, but my, my topic is not so much about that. There is a future judgment, but there's also a present judgment taking place right now. Right now in Britain, right now in London. It's a judgment that I derive biblically from Romans chapter 1, but also which was confirmed to me in a series of visions, and I've written it up for you, the whole story, there's much more that could be said, but there's no way I can take you through all of this today. That's why we published it 20 years ago, the 2nd of October, 1998. Some of you were there in that meeting. And previous to that, in the early years of the 1990s, God gave me a a vision, and it was in the context of that time, if you remember, there were a number of prophetic publications that were floating around, and, and they were giving voice to the doom and gloom prophets. And everything was negative. Every event that happened was God's judgment, specifically foot and mouth disease. Judgment. Everything that happened, mad cow disease. Judgment. Everything, judgment. And I'm sure they were well-meaning, but I felt that this was doom and gloom, and, and it, it wasn't motivating me. So I went to seek God. I said, God, what is this all about? And surprisingly, God answered me. As, well, I believe he did. And I saw a very clear picture of an angel holding a bowl which was about the size of the M25, high above London. And I saw this bowl, and I remember the book of Revelation. Bowls don't go down very well in the book of Revelation. They're the bowls of God's wrath. And I thought, my God, my God, the doom and gloom prophets are right. We're all doomed. London's going to be zapped and blown out of existence. And even Billy Graham said that if God does not judge London, he'll have to publicly apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But as I looked more closely, the stuff that was in this bowl was glorious. It was viscous. It was thick. It was sparkling. You know... I have to control myself because something made such an impression on me more than 20 years ago can grow with the telling. <laughs> this is a tendency that people have, but trying to keep it strictly uh, accurate. And I saw as this angel was kind of looking around, I didn't know what he was looking around at, 
Uh, but this thing was sloshing, 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 and some spilled over the edge over here, spilled over the edge over there, and it fell as it were in slow motion, these drops of something beautiful and glorious, and wherever it touched on the ground in London, Marvelous things happened. I saw people in chains being set free. I saw people laughing and singing and dancing. And I said, what is this? And God says, that's my grace. I have yet still more grace for the city of London. But you see, grace and judgment are not unrelated, as I said. Grace is only grace in the context of judgment, the power of God for salvation. Salvation from what? That was part one of the vision. And what I shared in 1998 was there were seven other angels around that first angel. That's what he was looking at. And these seven angels were seven angels of judgment to be poured out on the city of London and I guess to the nation of Britain. Not a palatable vision. It's not, uh, you kind of wonder what kind of nourishment for the soul a message like that can be. And uh, alongside that, God showed me Three signs of his judgment. There was a judgment concerning the water, a judgment concerning the bridge, Hammersmith Bridge, and judgment concerning a fire that would break out. These were signs that God's judgment is upon us as a city. And you can read for yourself, every one of those signs was fulfilled. They were fulfilled in reverse order. The first sign was the fire, the second the bridge, the third was the water. And they were fulfilled in in reverse order. Given in that order, but fulfilled in reverse order, showing that the first sign mentioned, which was the third sign to be fulfilled, is the most significant. I want to comment a little bit on that today if I can get to it. But let me just speak a little bit about this whole question of signs. God will give us supernatural signs. Signs and wonders. And operating under this proclamation, a prophetic person would announce a sign which was supernatural, I'm not just talking about miracles and healings and things, but a supernatural sign which would be obvious and clearly announced. And these signs were not at that level. They were not supernatural. And that's a good thing. Because had they been then the answerability level would be high, higher. When God speaks, we're answerable, but when he speaks supernaturally, we're doubly answerable. But I believe that the announcement of that level of supernatural sign will come. Not necessarily through me, 
that they will be there. The more we move along the trajectory that we're on, those things will happen. And they will be glorious for God's people, but it won't be good news, generally speaking. Then there are the natural signs. And we have to be very careful in this whole area. I'm walking through a minefield, as you know. Natural signs. And these can range from highly unique, obvious events, like disasters, like 9-11 or 7-7. I mean, they are disastrous. It can range from signs of that magnitude to signs which are less obvious, but nevertheless charged with the significance that God gives them because he announced them in advance. We announced these signs and we said, God, have mercy, Holy Spirit showed us we could soften the signs and we interceded, God, let there be no life lost. And in all that happened, the bridge and the bomb, the flooding and the pollution of the Thames, the fire in the city of London, no life was lost. In fact, you had to be discerning even to notice them because there are many events that happen almost every week in London and around the world and these signs do not stick out as extraordinary in themselves, but because they were announced in advance and charged with significance, they are nonetheless signs. So uh, what happened on that occasion was I was pretty overwhelmed and I was not comfortable because I am not a doom and gloom prophet, but I thank God for the Big headline news. Yes, the city is under God's judgment, but there is still yet more grace. And there will be more grace and more grace until the day of grace is over. And so my pastoral encouragement to you in this prophetic context is to grab as much grace as you can get. And uh, if it's not yet obvious how, we'll come to that briefly before we finish. God gives more grace. And so we prayed, and it happened, but I was still puzzled what does it mean that we're under the judgment of God? How is God judging London? God is judging London now, not going to. He is judging this city now. We're in the middle of it. And I went to speak to a few people and I spoke to a seasoned elder statesman in the nation. I'll keep his name out of it. And he said, Colin, you've forgotten one thing. I said, what is it? You've forgotten Romans 1. Let's have a look at it. Romans 1, verse 18. 
And this explains the judgment that I'm talking about today. Here Paul, and let's get the context. He's writing a letter to Rome. He's going to come and visit them. He says, I can't wait to get there and to, you can help me on my journey. I'm going to go further on after I've met with you. My first time to minister in Rome and I'm so happy to do so. And this is the gospel I'm going to preach. And, and he was excited about the gospel. And this is what triggered him. He says, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all, un the, un all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And then Paul goes on to talk about, which I'm sure he had Roman society in mind, but this is actually true, generally speaking, of the whole of human society, and here's how it goes. We know who God is. It's very clear. Just go through some logical analysis, some reasonable analysis of the nature of things, the fact that this universe came into being, which is now a scientifically acknowledged fact. This universe has not always been here. It came. Now for us as Bible believers, it came when God said, let there be. The scientists still call this Big Bang. But they acknowledge the universe had a beginning and that has not been the case. And they've resisted that for many, many years because if that happens and they say the universe had a beginning, then it means their theologians were right. The universe was not eternal. No, only God is eternal. And, we, you, you know, you, it takes a degree of suppressing the truth, a huge amount of effort to push that truth down and to say there is no God. Or to turn from the one and the true and the only living God and to make images for yourselves and worship the created things rather than the creator. It's easy and it's the history of fallen humanity. And Paul says... When people turn their back upon God, when it is clear that God exists and who he is, they bring on themselves a judgment. And in the first instance, this judgment is God says at a certain point, go ahead then. Go and believe the lies you've chosen to believe. And this is at the heart of how I see, with my present knowledge and understanding, how God's wrath is being outpoured upon us. And it is frightening, it's tragic, but there's something we can do. And this is the wrath. God is saying, okay, 
You don't want to serve the true and the living God. You want to turn aside to your humanism, your rationalism, your false religion. You want to reject me. Go ahead and reject me. And he hands us over to our own rebellion. And that sounds like something decisive, finished, and, uh, and it will have no, nothing will stop it until the final judgment comes and everything goes down. No, but Paul gets excited at this point. He says, I am so happy because Rome is under the judgment of God. Rome is suffering the consequences of rejecting God. And I'm so happy that I am able to come now and give them solution. And that's why he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that will save you from all of that. Every judgment before the final judgment is a judgment mixed with mercy. The only difference is when the final judgment comes, there will be nothing to stop it from finding its full satisfaction. And that's why we preach the gospel. Do you see, church? Do you understand why we preach the gospel? Because the gospel is this, that God took the wrath that was his righteous reaction concerning your sins and my sins, past, present and future, for none of us is perfect. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God took that wrath which will be outpoured on that final day and brought that day of judgment sooner and poured it out all upon Jesus on the cross so that those who believe will be able to say, there's no condemnation. I'm in Christ Jesus. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. That's why we can talk about sin, because we have the solution. That's why we can talk about judgment. We don't relish it, but we can talk about judgment because we know that in Christ, we are free. And so, this is what's happening, and this process is snowballing. Our societies, now, if you read in this booklet, you'll see that I bring the 2020 vision back into it, which is why there's an urgency that we'd strengthen ourselves and prepare ourselves for the 2020s. And this is why also I put in there the indications that we're seeing that God wants to do a new thing, that God wants to move in a new way, that God wants to bring whatever you call it, refreshing, restoration, a new move of the Holy Spirit. And we must be open to it, not just for our sakes and our blessing, but this might be the very thing that can help delay and help rescue people from an otherwise lost eternity by the grace of God. Do you know how important you are as a Bible-believing Christian in this city of London? I believe God wants to take us and fill us and refresh us and strengthen us and take us forward. And I will be with you. I will lead you into the 2020s.
But not long after that, not long after that, so I asked you, take what you can, while you can, and how? I said I'd get back to it. Okay, it's a passage I spoke on fairly recently, and I won't labor the point today. James 4, verses 6 to 10, but he gives us more grace. That is why he says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Would you indulge me? I want this to come into your mind. So would you indulge me? Would you repeat some words for me? Say, more grace. grace. Say it strong. More grace. 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 Now, you see, we know about grace. We receive grace, but God says we can get more. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want for your family? More grace for your life, more grace for your family, more grace in your activity, more grace in your vocation, your calling, your profession, your position where God has placed you to shine for him. I want more grace. How do you get it? Oh, it's so easy. Well, it's not easy. It's simple, (laughs) but it's not easy. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Ay, 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 ay. You talk about humility. It's rather like humidity. It makes me sweat a lot. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is the path we have to go. And what are we talking about? It's saying, would you stand with me here? I'm going to lead you into this. What, it, what, what we're saying is, God, I want to, with your help, separate myself from whatever sin is hanging around me. Now, you're not going to have a blessing and instant perfection, but it's a renewed thing to have a conscience about this stuff. Not be in condemnation and sit in the dock like I did, not standing before Mr. Holmes with a cane in his hand saying, who threw the prune? This is about God saying, I want to lead you out of that stuff that is holding you back. I want to set you free afresh. I want you to move into the purity and wisdom and righteousness that God wants to pour out upon his church. Amen and amen. Amen. Don't come under a sense of guilt and condemnation. That kind of guilt and shame will bind you to your sin. But when you know that Jesus has broke the chains of sin and shame and and he set you free that you may rush towards him and pursue him with all of your heart, he will draw near to you and he will draw near to us. Amen and amen.